So welcome to another podcast. Uh, we're really excited about this one because uh, this Sunday on the 8th of March, the world celebrates women. It's International Women's Day. And I mean, we personally think that women should be celebrated <laughs> every day. Uh, and certainly it's something we try to do regularly. But uh, the world will recognize women internationally this Sunday. So we thought it'd be really lovely to spend this po podcast talking about the women who have inspired us to be uh, the women that we are and women who have maybe broken barriers, smashed ceilings um, or just been really, really brave um, about speaking out at times when um, it wasn't as easy to do so. So, I mean, the list could have been totally exhausting. Mad. When we agreed to do three each, it was quite hard. Did you find it hard to get I down to three? I found it impossible at the beginning. I changed my list so many times. So um, yeah, no, so did I. And uh, But in the end, we just... Uh, I, I've, put, I've put down sort of three quite different ones, uh, and I know you have too. But uh, it, it's not an exhaustive list. So, uh, what is International Women's Day? Uh, this year, it's talking the, the sort of hashtag is Each for Equal, which um, just basically means we all have to take our own individual responsibility for uh, our own actions about uh, being great women in general, great mm. human beings in general, but also just to support as many other women as possible. And it's interesting because I, I feel like there's a bit of a backlash about, you know, and certainly on social media, there's always this kind of kind of arguing about do we need a Women's Day and do we need Men's Day, which we also have, which is in November. Um, but one of the things I suppose I feel strongly about is that while, you know, there's a lot of first world privilege for a lot of women in the world, there's also still a staggering amount of women who live without education, without proper finances, um, in poverty and all sorts. And I suppose personally, I feel like the more we can do to highlight and remember that we're not all in a privileged position. Yeah. Um, it's a great opportunity. I mean, absolutely. But I also think, because although it's all about gender equality, which is incredibly important, and we still haven't achieved it even in the privileged places no. that we, we live, to me it's also just about recognising the own, the special, unique issues that affect women, that we're not, just, we're not just part of the human race, that we have unique issues that affect us, just like men have unique issues that affect them. Um, and, you know, certainly both as coaches, uh, I'm sure we both see lots of women who really struggle to live up to their full potential because of possible expectations, societal bias um, and just things that uh, will still hold them back from really being able to live as fully as possible. Um, and that's I mean, why we do this podcast. That's why we do a lot of the stuff that we do to kind of release women. And I think suddenly between us today, we're going to talk about some amazing women who have really helped to, to push that agenda forward that, you know, and, and get us to the place where certainly we sit today in a very privileged position. Um, but it's still not enough. And I, no. I have three daughters and you have two daughters. Yes. And, you know, I want their world to be that even better again. I agree. And it's funny because I suppose we're of a certain age, you know. Um, of a certain age. Of a certain age. Just turned age. 50. <laughs> not yet 50. <laughs> I would just like to point out. Um, but we are, 
you know, I'm of the generation where um, when I went, uh, when I had my first baby, it wasn't normal to go back to work. It's, you know, um, I was asked, did I not want to stay at home? And I remember thinking, well, I love my baby, but I do want to go back to work in my career. Thanks very much. Um, and, you know, it's not that long ago. I no. mean, now he's 22. It, it's it's hard to believe with all the opportunities and the different, uh, you know, things that have come in in recent times that we forget it wasn't yeah. that long ago. And I mean, just look at last week. The news came in that um, Ireland uh, are still tragically low in terms of girls in STEM subjects at yes. school. And uh, part of that there was a whole thing recently about single sex schools and the differences that that has. And, you know, it's, it's still a thing. We've yeah. got to, I mean, Harvey Weinstein was convicted last week. Hurrah. Uh, it's not nearly enough. But, you know, we're still only on the edge of totally. really pushing for women to, to be where they need to be across all spaces, be that in politics, be that in government, be that in, 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 in the boardroom, but also in individual homes as well. And it's funny because I think, you know, even just when we're, as we go into introducing the first, I'm going to pick the first woman that I want to talk about, but um, it was really hard for me to think to even pick a short list of women who inspired me. And obviously my list is uh, mainly from another generation, I suppose. And um, it mostly was um, the inspiration for my teenage years. I can remember um, Ireland in the 80s was just the a very drab. I mean, we've all remembered this most recent recession, but there was a terrible recession then as well. And it, I just remember as a teenager, it wasn't much fun. And, you know, it's when never I never fun being a teenager, <laughs> no. but especially when no. you have to yes. wear shoulder pads. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> Purple eyeshadow. Yeah, I know. And it was just I just remember darkness. And I yeah. remember, you know, that I can one of my biggest uh, memories for, and something that has actually defined my life was the apartheid movement because I, I and story that I may share another time just about how I became a journalist and what gave me the idea. But um, when I was a teenager, um, the Dunn stores workers were out on strike because they wouldn't handle South African fruit. And I used to go to the library and started looking. I was an avid reader and I started reading about, I didn't really know anything about South Africa, obviously, because we only had two channels <laughs> in Ireland at that time, TV channels. And so my first woman was Maya Angelou. I remember um, I started reading about her and I just, my mind was blown. And when I first had to make a shortlist, I had so many names on it. Everyone from Tina Turner, Chrissy Hind, mm. Madonna, Pink, Blondie. Lady Gaga. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I had writers like Toni Morrison and Margaret Atwood, an Irish writer. And, you know, people like Nell McCaffrey, because they were just women who I remember just thinking they're just themselves yeah. but they're different they weren't Where do they conforming get the yeah come to be I don't know and I, I you know even things like Chrissy Hind with her you know rock star yeah, look fantastic. and you know even Madonna in 84 was so crazy wild and different and um, it was just like the, a turning point for me and so when when I first started reading they didn't um, seem to be crippled by that giving a fuck I'd, I'd, I'd yeah, attitude you they know? didn't and they really did just 
they were able to kind of come out and be themselves. Yeah. And I found that fascinating. I remember, And I mean, it's funny because so much of my work is all about how you can show up and just be yourself um, in whatever walk of life you're in. And I, I suppose I've always in my whole life railed against being put in a box. And a lot of those women were my inspiration because I remember yeah. looking at them thinking, how do they do that? How did they do it so young? <laughs> yeah, Because exactly. like, it took us a couple of decades to do it. <laughs> totally. So go on, let's kick off with our first one. Yeah, so your so first one is Maya Angelou and she was absolutely on my list as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And she she, you know, I remember when I was about 15 reading Why the Cage Bird Sings. And tell us who she is for anybody she, oh, who yes. has actually been asleep for the last 50 years wow. and doesn't know who she Bloody is. Bloody hell. How could we, how can we describe her? She was basically um, an activist. She had um, a, a poet, she was a poet and really a spiritual teacher. And I mean, her, she's probably her, best known as being an author. Isn't she's, she? she wrote a, f- a huge amount of books, which I'll talk about in a minute. But she actually w- had the kind of early life that you would actually think was too mad to put in a fiction book. It was bonkers. And she started out um, at a very early age. Um, her story... Initially, she was given away by her mother, was brought up she was, by... She's a, she's a black woman who yeah. grew up in the southern states of America. Oh, right, we're going back that far. I, I feel like everyone well, just should to put know her. In, just to put her... I know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think we're going really back to her. basics. Um, just, yes, just okay, to put that so she, yeah, she was of, a black woman, obviously, and had, you know, had lived in poverty. She had a baby son as a teenager. Um, and she then went into a horribly abusive relationship where her husband beat her and she nearly died. And... The thing that I suppose, just when I read her, that book, I remember just thinking, this woman just never, ever stopped. She literally, you know, went through things and she never bowed her head. And she just, I just, my mind was blown by her passion and her courage and also her sass. Because I just remember thinking, how is she so funny and so lively and not bitter? And I think in the face of life's hardships, I remember just thinking she was so bold and rebellious. She was so attractive to teenage me <laughs> and she was so different. And I just loved the way she um, she was never defined by the things that had happened mm-hmm. in her life. But what I loved about her too was the fact that she 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 had that sass and she mm. was she she liked to be a sort of sexy feminine yes. woman as well as being yeah. an activist and a fighter and a and she was I suppose you know we are all many facets of yeah. uh, the, you know we all have so many facets to our personality and she displayed them all yeah. and I mean there's a great if you if you're listening to this and there's a great um, YouTube video where she's uh, it's when she's older and she's reading um, Still I Rise yes. and she is just so sassy in it yeah. oh my god it just brings me such joy even now when I listen to it because she was just so yeah. different and I think and that particular Still I Rise yeah. was something that I it really it really helped me through some oh, very difficult yes. times. It's a, if anyone who hasn't read it or seen it, listen to it because yes. it is is so life affirming poem. Yeah, and I think one of my favourite quotes from her was, "You know, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it." Yeah. And so I always used to have that, like whatever notice board or in my bedroom as I went away from home and all those things. I always had that quote there. Um, And it just always, you know, in times when I was pushing myself forward and doing lots of new and different things, I always used to think of her. And I mean, by the time she died, she'd written something like 36 books and she never felt like she was amazing. You know, that's the other thing. But she campaigned for women, for black rights, for education and 
I'm still blown away by her. And and I listen to a lot of um, Oprah Winfrey's uh, Super Soul Sunday podcasts. Oh, yes. And uh, she was a very good friend with Mayo Angelou in the later parts of her life. And yeah. she's constantly quoting her. Um, and because of that, she just had this lovely cackle, didn't she? Um, and uh, you just know she'd be great fun oh, in, yeah. in a, at a party with absolutely. you, you know, absolutely. And she's one of those amazing people who, no matter what happened to her, kept her own inner peace, yeah, and that's she, what made her so strong. Yeah, and I think that's what inspired me because a bit like Nelson Mandela as well, you know, she could have been angry, yeah. and she could have allowed herself, and I think that you know. Um, she could really have allowed herself to be kind of backed into a life that wouldn't have been of her choosing, but she just refused to, you know, kneel down and she just had the and contributed such an amazing amount um, to contemporary, um, not just art, but also just activism in the US particularly. Yeah. Um, and I just right. still love her. Well, I wholly approve of your first choice uh, and she definitely would have been one of mine and still and I, I would read anything I'd read a shopping list that yes, she wrote so would I um, and um, she yeah and, and I, I know f- you know in my own life she so much of what she's written had an impact mm. there isn't a quote she she you know yeah. if you look up her quotes yeah. they're all just so amazing so she was just yeah, she was. so special Um so brilliant! Well done. My <laughs> first, my first one, and again, I could have had all kinds of people—people people who I'm not covering today—but I could have would be Margaret Atwood, Virginia Woolf, mm. Vicky Phelan of recent times, Caitlin Moran, Serena Williams, women who just have quietly and powerfully uh, made made an impact and, and taken that further step in life. Um, in fact, actually, growing up, uh, my first one was Kate Adie, who was a BBC war oh, correspondent. Yes. And uh, because I sat in my in my uh, living room in Belfast, watching this woman tell people stories from all of the Tiananmen Square and, and all kinds of sort of war zones. And she was the first woman that I saw and thought, oh, OK, I, mm. I, I can do something a bit different with my life. And so that was that was really powerful for me. But the first woman I've chosen today um, actually is uh, another author. Uh, she is a Nigerian author called Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And I'm going to confess I have a little bit of a girl crush on her. <laughs> um, she, I came across her as an author a few years ago and her fantastic award-winning books, um, Half the Yellow Sun, um, mm. Purple Hibiscus, Americano, just um, incredible. She won the Orange Prize, actually. And uh, so she's a stunningly beautiful, poetic writer. But in recent years, she has also stepped up to the plate as an activist and feminist. And I had the absolute pleasure and joy of seeing her at the convention centre last year speak. And it's becoming a bit of a thing I've seen, noticed in the last couple of years. But it's like a rock concert. <laughs> yes. You know, there must have been, I don't know, 10,000 people in that room watching or listening to her speak. Every one of us hanging on to every word she said um, because she does have something to say and she has two TED Talks if anyone hasn't yes, seen her brilliant. Uh, and, and you don't have time to write her books as yet she's got two TED Talks one which is extraordinary and it's on the danger of she calls it the single story mm. and she talks about how she uh, didn't realise she was black until she went to America and how other people's perception of her started to help def- define who she was without it being accurate or right. 
Um, so this idea of a single story, never judge anyone by their single story, be that be a, a black woman or a yes. woman, someone who might have been to prison, somebody who's done something, you know, we, we judge people very quickly on their single story. Mm. And the, the, the it reduces both ourselves and it reduces them to do that. And I think that's really powerful. And one of her most powerful points is this idea of girls uh, not following the idea of being likeable. Yes. And she really, really, she does a lot of work back in Nigeria trying to work with girls' education. But a lot of that is, you know, we are crippled by this idea of likability. And I know you and I, Marie, have talked about this a lot on our podcast. Definitely and our people-pleasing one. Yeah. And it's a really important story to tell. Her other TED Talk, We Should All Be Feminists, uh, which has also been sampled in the Beyonce song. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Sweden, is actually, it's a, it's a manifesto that is distributed in book form to every 16-year-old in That's Sweden amazing. when they turn 16 in school. Um, she's just got this incredible spirit Beautiful on the outside, beautiful on the inside, makes no apology for herself. Um, she was made a little bit famous when she uh, took Hillary Clinton to task for beginning her Twitter bio with wife, mom and grandma. And uh, Chimamandati, she said, I don't believe your husband's account starts with husband. Um, and Hillary Clinton says, well, when you put it like that, I'm going to change it. And she went on and did. Um, but her very, very famous um, How We Should All Be Feminists came about when a, a Nigerian girlfriend of hers asked her how she should raise her daughter as a feminist because she'd just given birth. What uh, Chimamanda Adichie went on to write was a 15-point manifesto um, on suggestions on how to raise all children as yes. feminists, um, one of which was teacher to reject likeability. Oh my God, all that time wasted, she says with feeling, that boys and men do not waste on trying yes. to be liked. Yeah. Um, she also talks about uh, language and, and the idea of, you know, baby bumps and, 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 and things about, about women that are just diminishing, that aren't in the same sphere as men. But she does it in such a beautiful, funny way. I happen to be sitting beside probably one of the only men in the entire state convention oh, wow. centre at her talk. Um, and I laughed with him occasionally, but there was never a feeling that she was anti-men. She's married. She loves men. She's, you know, th- th- it's, her feminism is not that brand. And that's what I absolutely adore about her because she's, you know, taken this subject, which is so divisive now. And particularly with social media, you know, you can be railed against for being a feminist or for not being a feminist, and uh, which kind of defeats the whole object of it, really, that we're just, you know, the whole idea that we can do what we want. And that is also what I loved about her because she literally, um, her biggest thing that uh, struck me was how she was always saying we shouldn't shrink ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she doesn't. She wears the most flamboyant, beautiful clothes. <laughs> But I'll end um, her little piece on possibly my favourite uh, quote of hers. And there are many. Um, and again, it goes back to her 15 points of, of how to raise uh, feminist children. And she said, you know, gender for her is a social construction. She says, I don't think I'm more inherently likely to do domestic work or childcare better It doesn't come pre-programmed in your vagina, right? <laughs> uh, that's a social construct, yeah. not a gender construct. And um, I just think she has a very powerful platform and she uses it very, very well. Definitely. Yeah, I'm a bit of a girl, girl crush. Fan <laughs> girl, girl fan, crush yeah, too, yeah, yeah. 
And uh, my next one, I'm going back again in history because I did love the old history when I was younger. Um, I think you and I were nerds. We, <laughs> I was a total nerd as a teenager. <laughs> well, I just think I because I read so much, I just devoured there just wasn't enough books for me to read. So I had to go for everything. And, um, you know, as well as the an avid readership. I mean, I can't tell you how many Mills and Boone books I read at the time. <laughs> I also read loads of history books. And I, I've always been drawn to um, rebellious women. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Which um, is great why so at the moment there are so many books for kids now about rebellious women, about yes, women who've changed history. Yeah, but there weren't, weren't available. No, when they we were weren't. Up at no. All. And they were so different. And as I said, you know, the the teenager the teenage years that I was um, growing up, it was just very male dominated culture. You know, on TV it was mostly men. It's like you're saying, you know, Kate Adie would have been really unusual very. in those times as a woman and a war correspondent. And um, Emily and Pankhurst is my second woman. And again, I grew up. Um, surrounded by women actually because my dad was the youngest boy and the only boy and he had six older sisters and they were pretty formidable and then you know obviously my mum and then I had two sisters myself so there was a lot of women in my life um a lot and of hormones. A lot of hormones, for sure. And I just loved this idea of rebelling. And I think my dad probably encouraged me a bit too. Um, he was someone who loved to be a bit of a rebel himself. And I was always attracted to these people, like I said, a bit with my Angelou, you know, who who just were outside the box. And I f- was just fascinated by Emmeline Pankhurst that she could actually do what she did in those times. Now, she was very lucky because she actually married a man. And again, you know, the 18, 1870s or something, she basically uh, married like a human rights activist lawyer, which in those days was mad. And he, you know, um, I think together they basically, you know, really wanted to change um, the world. And he actually helped married the original, women. original uh, power couple. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, he was, he basically um, was the author of the Married Women's Property Acts. And it was the first time women were actually allowed to keep earnings or property after they got married and um, you know Emmeline was very very similar and she had um, this huge urge to get women the vote and basically nothing would stop her and I remember you know again just being amazed at the horror of what happened to the suffragettes and um, you know just the terrible things they endured which if you think about it now it was it's actually Mad, and it wasn't that long no, ago. It wasn't. I mean, I remember recently. Well, it was a few years ago when the film Suffragette came out. Yes, which was an amazing, movie. a great film. And sitting at the end, being slightly, I couldn't get up out of the cinema because I just realised, you know, you read about it, and you, it, but but these were real women in real times, and less than a hundred years ago, we would not have been deemed fit enough to make a decision about who ran our country. No, and I mean. I also think, you know, the way they were treated, um, they had to resort to extreme measures, which again, at that time was quite yeah. outstanding. Women showing any kind of violent yeah. tendencies. You know, and, she, I, I just, and women were locked up for that. I well, mean, they, women were immediately locked up for being hysterical or mad. Yeah. Anybody with a bit of a temper or a spirit were locked up and mad. And I do think the suffragettes had, you know, the, you know they were force fed. Um, they had this cat and mouse thing where they, you know, they would, they went on hunger strike and basically they released them so they would eat and then they would arrest them. I mean, it was mad times. And, and through all that, she never stopped. She basically Basically, um, was arrested numerous occasions. She went on hunger strike herself and had to be violently force fed. I mean, there was no um, concessions whatsoever to anybody in those days. 
And, you know, basically, um, she campaigned right up until the outbreak of the war in 1914, when she then, you know, obviously helped in the war effort. And basically, shortly after she died, uh, women were granted equal voting rights with men at 21. Mm. And I just, I can just remember thinking, oh my God, what a life she had and how different, again, I'm just, this is me being drawn to someone. She was so different. She refused to be defined by the social norms, by the times, by the rules, and she refused to accept the rules. Yeah, and it's people like that who are the ones who made it. And you know, mm. when we sometimes have to face big decisions, when you think of, I mean, look at Rosa Parks and yes, in America. I nearly picked her as well. To really just, what, how driven by frustration and pain and hurt do you get to get to the point where you will risk your life on principle and hopefully we will never be in a position where we have to risk our lives for a principle although you know there's still a lot of things to fight for but uh yeah she's she's she was one of the of the finding women of just who 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 kicked some ass and yeah, actually made a difference for all of us totally and i think you know when people you know, God, rather staggeringly a few years ago, I can't remember, I was on a train and um, there were a couple of young girls next to me and they'd never, one of them had never heard of the suffragettes. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how. And she was about 18 and I was just, I was like, seriously, like seriously. Do you know what, it is funny because my kids at the moment are at school and they're learning the Vikings, Mm. they're learning the Egyptians, they're learning the Romans, all very important, of Mm. course, but none of them have yet learned about the suffragettes and I'm kind of waiting for that piece of history to come (laughs) in because it's fundamental to to the context of their life right now but yeah it doesn't seem to be a a huge issue No it's not a big thing but yeah for me Maybe that's what we should do start campaigning (laughs) Uh, Well good well choice good choice So my second choice is uh, she's still alive um, although she is in her 90s at this stage, late 90s, and still a practising psychotherapist. Her name is Dr. Edith Eager, and you may have heard her over recent uh, weeks uh, and and months because she brought out an incredible book two or three years ago, and actually some of her interviews were replayed last year uh, at the anniversary of the Holocaust. Um... She was 16 years old when she was packed into a cattle cart and taken to Auschwitz with her mother and her sister. And the book that she wrote when she was 90 years old is called The Choice and it's a, a phenomenal international bestseller. And I don't say this lightly when I say every single person on the planet should read this book. Mm. It is not just a story of survival. It is a story of transforming your mind and owning your mind to a place where nothing that happens to you can change who you are as a person or yeah, or, or, or someone can take your, your power away. The moment she arrived, um, the, the Gestapo officer uh, was there and he said to her, is this your mother or your sister? And she didn't know which choice to make because she didn't know what was the right answer. And the answers that she gave sent her mother off to the left-hand side, which was the gas chamber, and she went off to the right and survived and went into the camp. Um, what also struck me about this book was that any woman 
Any child under 14 was sent to the gas chamber mm. and any woman over 40 was sent to the gas chamber. So that's mm. us gone. Yes. Um, but just that, that little point sat with me that, yes. you know, any woman over the age of 40 was deemed totally and utterly useless. <laughs> useless and irrelevant. Um, but it's, so the first third of the book is an extraordinary look at that, how she survived Icewich itself. Mm. The second third of the book is about how she managed to survive after Icewich. And she nearly didn't because the survivor's guilt was incredible. She never spoke a word uh, about what happened to her in that camp. She got married to an, an, uh, a survivor as well. They went on and had children. Her children never, ever knew what had happened to her. One day when her child was a teenager and showed her a picture of heaped up bodies from a camp in, 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 in Poland... Uh, Edith ran into the bathroom and vomited um, because she had never spoken to her children about what happened to her. But the thir- the final third of the book, however, she started to realise that by never acknowledging the past and what had happened, she was con- she was still in that camp. She was still controlled. So she trained to be a psychotherapist and lived did that for a few years. But even within that, she still realised that she she felt she was a bit of a fraud because mm-hmm. she'd never dealt with her own past. So she made the ultimate decision. And she went back to Germany. She went to Hitler's house. She slept in Gabel's bed. And she retraced every moment of her experience. She went to Auschwitz where her mother died. And she went and stood in the cabin where she and her sister had been and where she herself had danced for the Nazis because she was a, a, a ballerina. It's an incredible story. And through that, she realises that the choice that we have and how we live our life always remains with us. As they approached Auschwitz uh, in, uh, in the war, just before they went into the camp, her mother turned to her and said, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen to us here. But nobody can ever take away what's in your mind. Mm. And those were the words that were going to save her life because during her time in Auschwitz, she then focused on, she would take herself away and she would yes. be in a, she would be dancing in a, in a beautiful concert hall or she would remember recipes or she would focus on stuff and not allow the, what was happening to her to be there. But more importantly, when she was older, she realised that she always had control of what was going on in her mind mm. and nobody else did. Um, it's an incredible book. She went yeah. on to work with so many other peep trauma survivors. Um, her and spirit is her just so amazing. Her spirit is incredible. Mm. But ultimately her lesson is this. We always have the choice, no matter what we think is mm. happening to us. And I'm just going to give you a very quick quote at the end. Um, Here you are in the sacred present. I can't heal you or anyone, but I can celebrate your choice to dismantle the prison in your mind, brick by brick. You can't change what happened. You can't change what you did or what was done to you, but you can choose how you live now. My precious, you can choose to be free. What my patients have taught me is that healing is not about recovery. It's about discovery. Discovering hope and hopelessness, discovering an answer where there doesn't seem to be one and discovering that it's not what happens that matters, it's what you do with it. And it's that last line, it's not what happens to you, but what you do with it, that pretty much focuses on what we do as coaching, Mm. because it's so easy to get stuck in the area of life that you can't change and not get out of that prison and start focusing on what you can. Um, And it's an extraordinary book. And if any get the chance to read it, please do second that because I actually cried through a lot of that book. I found it incredibly emotional to read and again like uh, most of the women that we've been talking about today I just like uh, Alana I definitely was just 
so moved by her. And one of my favourite quotes from her is, um, our painful experiences are not a liability, they're a gift. Mm-hmm. And I know we talked about We've that. Just, just talked about We that. just talked about that. But that is one of my big things that, you know, no matter what happens in our lives, you know, we must always treat the experiences, you know, sometimes it's hard and it takes time, but you eventually realise that they're what brought you to where you are right now. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's um, she is amazing. Well worth a read. So who's your final woman? So my final woman woman is an Irish uh, writer and journalist called Nulo Fuelon. And again, you know, it was... uh, another woman who really, really refused to be put in a box and she was a major, she was an Irish journalist and she wrote uh, books. She was a teacher, a writer and she um, was born in Dublin. She, her father was actually Terry O'Neill who, if you knew anything about journalism in the olden days, he kind of wrote a Dubliner's diary and that would have been something that I would have grown up um, in, uh, you know, flicking through the papers and reading about. But she um, was very, very much an outspoken, um, I, I, I'm saying campaigner, but I don't know if she would have described herself as a campaigner, but she was definitely a commentator to me, of all the things that were wrong well, in the country a at huge the time, yes, and, and was she, one of the defining people. With didn't she go on the train to she Belfast? Did, she yeah, did, she did, and she railed against. Back. Yeah, she railed against the whole kind of Catholic hold we had in the country. And you know, like I'm talking about being a teenager in '84. You know, contraception had only been made legal in 1980. She was absolutely at the forefront of that campaign to give women control of their bodies and control of how many families, they, how many people they had in their family. And I suppose she. And that wasn't an easy thing to do because although oh there wasn't sort of God. social media trolling then, she was, uh, you know, she was she was really hounded and abused for her she for being so vocal. Was vilified, yeah. but for her voice and for her comments and opinions. And I remember just again being blown away by how brave she was. And again, you know, this is the thing I think with a lot of the women we've chosen, they spoke out at a time when it was not something yeah. that was accepted or done. And I know for Nulo Fuelon, you know, when, when when I was... They weren't focused on likability. No, they didn't. And I suppose that's, for me, the, the reason I picked all these women, they were totally... Themselves. themselves. They lived their values and they spoke out. They did not keep silent. And I think with Nula, I re- because at the time when I started um, really getting into knowing her, I was actually living in London and I'd just finished university and I was starting out as a journalist. And I can remember just being blown away by um, her opinions and her views. And she was the first person to criticise the way we dealt with paedophile priests, you know, the way women had no control over their lives. Um, she criticised the government. She she literally took everyone to task and would not be silenced. And it wasn't easy for her because she did suffer from depression and she... She did. Know. And she, she had a hard life and, she, you know, she people wanted her to, you know, she she always said, Shut you up. know, yeah, Put the be quiet. in the corner and be quiet. Get married, uh, yeah. have a family, which she never, ever did. And she had a 15-year relationship with Nell McCafferty and... Another amazing... Um, another amazing feminist, Irish feminist. And it... it um, I just remember, again, just thinking... I can't believe how amazing she was because she was so different. And it's it's easy for us to see them as being all glorious, but there must have been times of huge isolation and huge sense of, 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 you know, it might just be easier if I did what I was told. So to keep that level of independence would have taken its toll. Well, I think, 
you know, as we said, we didn't have social media, thankfully, because I think it would have been really hard. I mean, I think they were ostracized. She would have been brilliant. But she would have been really, really (laughs) ostracized for her. I mean, she was so ahead of her time. And she tackled views. And, you know, don't you think that a lot of inspiring women were ahead of their time? That's why they're inspiring. I think so. And I think they just didn't. I don't know if they just uh, no. There was no kind of sticking to the towing the line or you know staying within the norms of society. Or they just didn't care. They needed to speak and they needed yeah. to be heard. And um, when she, I, I, there was a one of the most poignant things that happened to me. She died in two thousand and eight when she was only sixty eight. And a few months earlier, she had. Uh, and again, this is on YouTube. I think she did an amazing interview. Yeah, interview yeah. with Marion Fanukin and. Um, Again, a bit like, um, you so know, honest. it was one of the most searingly honest and truthful um, tellings of a story and her story. And it was absolutely gripping, mm. full of heartache. Um, you know, you, I, I would, again, I'd love everyone to listen to it. because I think it they just played it recently. They did a top 10 oh, moments yes. on radio or something. Yeah, and that, I think that they was might well have. Because it was so, oh, do you know when it was? It was when Marion Nukin died. died. Yeah. Yes. And, and again, it was a defining moment for her as well to be. Pals, yeah. And her, she, she wrote a brilliant book, which actually I should have brought with me because I'm always, I have it marked up. Um, it's such a great book called Are You Somebody? And it was just, again, just this, her storytelling, her commentary, her opinions. And she wasn't, you know, she was bold. She, she was a was bold girl. very bold. She was the original, which I loved. Know, uh, social, <laughs> social butterfly around time, you know. And she did, she did whatever mm-hmm. she wanted mm-hmm. and she lived her life the way she wanted. And uh, you can see a theme with all my women. <laughs> I, I just really, really admire women who can do that and I suppose I've always tried to do that myself and you know I hope I'll be able to teach my daughters to do the same that really just by you know being true to yourself and true to your values you know you don't have to be afraid Um, you might not always be liked which is the bit that a lot of women find really hard and I know it's something I've struggled with you know it's harder to not be liked and to state the unpopular opinion but sometimes you just Although, have to do as it. I was listening to Hillary Clinton on an interview recently. Um, she said, sometimes it is, it was very hard getting used to not being liked by certain people. And then I realised, well, I don't like the people who didn't like me. So it was all right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, you know, again, she she didn't uh, court anyone who, no. she, she didn't have time for it. She just did her own thing. And I again, I, I have all her books and her words are amazing. She was a as you know, as well as being outspoken, she was also the most beautiful writer, yeah. and she was someone who really, really inspired me when I was in my twenties to just kind of go on my own path and do what I wanted to do. Good, great choice. Um, and my last um, inspiring woman um, is, in many ways, the opposite of, mm-hmm. of many of the women that we have here today uh, that we've talked about, and is actually my mum. Um, and one of the reasons that she inspired me was that she uh, did not have a platform to talk and write and, and do the things that so many of the women that we've spoken about have. She And, and, and she was inspiring because she had quite, in, and I put quotes around this word ordinary, mm. uh, life. Um, and it was hard and it was tough. Um my mum always regretted not going to school and not going or not going to university, um, and somehow seemed to think that she uh, was lesser than a lot of people who'd gone to college, and it mm. was her one thing. And actually, she worked 
constantly, every penny she earned went into my brother and my school and sent us to university. We were the first people in the family to go to, to university. And um, because she had felt such a, 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 a failing on her part. But as I spoke, uh, my mum passed away four years ago and uh, I spoke at her funeral and I said, but actually my mum was smarter than anybody else I know because she knew the things that actually mattered in life and that was people and connection. Um, and while she didn't stand on picket lines and didn't break rules, she inspired me in a completely different way because she showed me that love and connection and kindness, um, putting your face on and your friends are the only way to get through your life. Um, she had a huge circle of friends and everybody loved her because mm -hmm. she was a kind person. Um, she would always say sorry, even if it wasn't her fault, because she said, do you know what? Our relationship is more important. That's and amazing. at first I thought that was a weakness until mm. I realised how unbelievably strong that is. Yeah. And Something very few of us can actually do. Exactly. And she said, my relationship with this person or you or whoever she was saying sorry to is more important than me winning a point right now. And that's an, and, and I have learned that now with my own children, that actually the relationship always, always, always outweighs the point. Mm. and um, my mum was happiest when she was surrounded by her family and you know when you're a stroppy teenager and I probably made her life hell I didn't appreciate that but I think when you someone gives you really good roots they do come back when you need it and you know now uh, as I say I had my 50th birthday on Saturday and a big party and I looked around that room and I realised that it's the family and the friends in my life that make my life how glorious that it is. Mm. And so she inspired me in that way because while I was inspired by so many women as I grew up and went on adventures who broke the rules and strode out, just as important are the women who nurture and love and care and connect mm. and show and teach how powerful it is to not always be the loudest voice in the room, but to be the one who squeezes your hand. Yes. And I think it's that's what makes people... Um, you know that's that's the power in relationships is that ability to make someone feel special. And it's the word you said there. It's about connection again. Something that we both feel really strongly about. And uh, I think it's something that we can lose. You know, we're in danger of losing now with all uh, the online stuff. But yes, people like your mom who just basically nurtured connection, nurtured people and nurtured friendships. I mean, ultimately, no matter what we're doing in our lives, if we don't do those basics. We could be standing in an empty room Absolutely. at 50, Absolutely. unlike you who's standing all, in a full room. <laughs> in the so, um, yeah, look, those are just six inspiring yes. women that we've yeah. had and we, we could have had many, many more. So, yeah, let's celebrate International Women's Day. And it's, um, it's so interesting because I literally could not, I could have had a list of 20. It, it just amazed me in Was so I many on your list, Maria? Um, well, you're with me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you're on my <laughs> list. <laughs> you're on my throne with me, side by side. Um, but, you know, this is the thing. I mean, I suppose women together, I know that we've both definitely had the power of women supporting us 
across yeah. throughout our lives. And I certainly have the best girl gang a girl could yeah. wish for. And I'm very grateful for it. And I think, you know, it's always important to remember that um, the most important thing is being true to yourself. And I, I'm going to end this with a Maya Angelou quote, because again, she just, I don't think there's a quote that I don't love. She's ever, <laughs> anything she's ever said, but she said, if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you are. I love that. And I think, and you know. And it's the girls, friends in your life yes, who actually know how amazing yeah, you are. Yeah, and, and they love to tell you too. So if you've got a girlfriend uh, who you haven't spoken to in a while, celebrate you know. Celebrate her today. Yes, have a celebration and... Um, because while we've talked about inspiring women, I think most of us, if we've got a good tribe around us, yes. are inspired by our girlfriends and our daughters and our sisters and our mothers Absolutely. and our aunts and our friends all the time. Yeah. Because we are pretty damn good, women. <laughs> we, we, we're fabulous. <laughs> so here's to women and uh, International Women's Day. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.